Hey, March is tripod month, my friend, and you know what that means. Yes, that means it's time to let people know about your favorite podcasts, just to share the sheer joy of podcast listening. That's right. It's T-R-Y-Pod. Still a nascent industry. A lot of people don't know what podcasts are. Right. And it helps everybody out if you would go out and just say, hey, family member who I see at Thanksgiving once a year, right? you should try out this thing called a podcast. Here's what they are. Here's a cool show you should try, and here's how to get it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be our show. Just any podcast you like in general that you think someone else would like, just share it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, get on board the tripod train. (laughs) Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry. This is stuff you should know. Crime and Punishment, Part Twenty Eight. Yeah, yeah. Yes. A lot of stuff on this, and I thought we got more coming. I kept keep saying we're done, but we're not done. Nope. Because while we touched on solitary confinement in our prisons episode, which was a great one. Was it? Have you gone back and listened recently, or are you just making assumptions? No, I just rem- uh, I remember it being a good one. Okay. It stands out. Sure. As one of our good ones. Uh, this is, um, you know, a, a little more robust look at solitary confinement and <clears throat> the ins and outs. Mostly outs. Don't you think? Yes. I, and not just me. There's like a whole growing body of people who are kind of... Screaming their heads off, I guess. Yeah, saying like, hey, put a person in a tiny room with no interaction or stimulation for 23 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Not good for you as a human. Right, and, and and a lot of people are going so far as to say this this constitutes cruel and inhuman punishment. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, zoocosis for humans. Right. We talked about that in our zoos episode. Yeah. Um, you know? Yeah, where the animal goes insane. Yeah, what it's not is... Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, throwing the baseball against the wall, kind you of could, whistling. You could probably do that for like a half hour. No, they wouldn't give you a baseball. No, that's true. You know? There's nothing funny or cute about it. Right. Um. All right. Shall we? Yeah, let's. <laughs> so solitary, it is a huge controversial thing right now because some a lot of uh, proponents say it's extremely necessary. And that this is just the, the way that you're supposed to punish people or that it's just needed even without punishment. Or, um, other people say, no, this is cruel and inhuman. Like we said, regardless of how you slice it, it's actually an American product. It's an American export. It's being used all over the world right now. Yeah. Uh, and depending on where you are and what prison you're in, they might call it something else. They have a lot of, I mean, in this article, the How Stuff Works article, they, you know, call it like lockdown, restrictive housing, segregation, isolation. But mm-hmm. I saw a lot more, uh, creative names that prisons use that, you know, try to shine it up a bit. Right. As something other than what it is. Right. But in what it is, no matter what you call it, is it's confining a prisoner to a relatively small cell. Um, I saw usually eight by 10. Or less. Yeah. And I also saw that frequently compared to a horse stable in which comparison the, um, the prison cell actually comes out the smaller of the two. And 
you confine that person, this is the key, you confine that person to that small cell for between 23 and 24 hours a day, every day. Yeah. Well, I think 22 to 20, they, like, some people never leave? It depends on the day. So, oh, okay, I got so, you. Uh, in some cases, you'll be confined like that for 23 hours a day, and then one hour a day, <clears throat> you get out to exercise and um, shower. Shower, yeah. But maybe that's just on weekdays, right? So at weekends, you would be in there for 48 straight hours, right? Or, or maybe longer. if the guard doesn't like you or is in a bad mood, mm-hmm. they might just not let you out that day, right? And we don't want to paint corrections officers as you know, the movies do a good enough job of uh, demonizing them. Uh, yeah, and if you look into the, some of the um, people who are being held in solitary, some of the people who started solitary or have stayed in there longest, you, you kind of understand why someone would want to keep them as far away from people as possible. You yeah. Know? So, like, it's it's a it's a it's a complex issue. It's not cut and dried. There's not an obvious villain in this story and an obvious victim in this story. Yeah, so like I was saying, um, we don't want to demonize them because it's happened enough in media and, and certainly films. Tom Hanks aside, I guess, in the Green Mile. <laughs> he just, he can't help but be delightful. <laughs> uh, he played a, well, he was actually kind of, I was about to say road to perdition. He, he was, was the good guy. He was an anti-hero though. Yeah, a bit of an anti-hero. But, uh, anyway, we're not going to do that, but, that does still happen, you know. There, that's why prison reform is still a thing, mm-hmm. because there still is a lot of abuse that happens in certain prisons and among certain prison guards and uh, correctional officers. So, uh, it's certainly not something that's been solved. Uh, I just like to see away a little bit because I know that we have uh, prison guards that listen to our show. Sure. Oh, and Chuck, we we should say the whole point of solitary is to limit human contact as much as possible. Yeah. So even though you are maybe interacting with a guard here or there, it's when they slide your meal in three times a day. Sure. And that's it. You don't see people. You um, you exercise alone. Everything you're doing is alone. That's the point. That's why they call it solitary confinement. <laughs> it is. Uh, so there's a couple of types of segregation that can happen. Uh, one's called disciplinary segregation. That is uh, pretty obvious. You have done something that has run afoul of the prison rules, um, which can range from Mm -hmm. legitimate things like, you know, you start a fight or you attacked another inmate or, you know, whatever. Got caught with an extra honey bun. Maybe so, or you you stole something, um, to a little more petty things. And that's where where solitary gets real hinky. Like maybe you talk back to a guard and they didn't like hearing that. So they're like, all right, you go to the hole for 30 days. Right, or maybe somebody um, snitched on you and you were framed, clear and, clear and simple. Right. Uh, so that's disciplinary segregation. There's also administrative segregation. And this is, um, you might be put in there if, let's say you're a sex offender uh, who notoriously have a rough time in prison, or you're a gang member who has started some trouble. And, you know, basically they're trying to protect uh, supposedly trying to protect the prisoner from harm. For, yeah. By isolating them from the population. Yeah, but whether they wa- whether they want to stay in the regular population or not, that decision's made for them. Right, and that's just one type of, of administrative. Um, you can also be put in if the regular cells are full and they're just full up. So sorry, you got to go to solitary. Yep. 
with overcrowding, that's obviously a big deal. Um, pre-trial, you can go in if you're not even convicted of a crime yet. This you might be, be put in solitary. There should be a constitutional amendment that prevents that. Yeah, I read this story. Actually, I heard it on NPR this weekend, which is what made me think of this thing. Uh, there's a documentary on Spike TV called The Khalif Browder Story. Is that the kid who stole the backpack? Yeah, did you hear that? No, I just knew about it while it was going on. Yeah, this this guy, Khalif Browder, um, when he was, I think he was 16 at the time, um, stole a backpack from a party. He and his buddy get, uh, get I don't know if they were in a car or got pulled over, but they get arrested. Uh, they let the one guy go, uh, but Khalif Browder had a prior charge, so they kept him for more than three years in uh, the Rikers Island Jail Complex, and a lot of that was in solitary confinement. Confinement, And this before, like, ultimately the charges were dropped. He wasn't even convicted of a crime. Right. And he was in solitary for three years. He finally gets out. He committed suicide less than a year after. Mm. And it's just one of the, geez, one of the more egregious and sad examples of just how broken the system can be here in the United States. Right. The the uh, Another um, way that it's being used that's just as egregious as pretrial, um, in my opinion, is to house the mentally ill, right? Yes. <clears throat> after after the eighties, when Reagan closed down the massive institutions that had become like huge places of abuse of the mentally ill, in favor of um, f- more community servicing yeah. of mental health, but then didn't fund the communities so that the mentally ill just ended up on the street, right? Prison became the new institutions for housing mentally ill people. Well, apparently, a favorite place to actually house the mentally ill in prison is in solitary confinement. Yeah. And as we'll see, um, ostensibly just being put in solitary confinement if you have a completely healthy mind is really, really bad for your mental state. If you're already mentally ill or predisposed to mental illness, it can be uh, a death sentence for you. Yeah, and uh, in the United States, um, they don't have exact numbers because uh, it's just, you know, states vary in what they consider confinement, solitary confinement. Um, not a lot of prisons want to participate in studies. There's no reporting? Not very much, you know. Um, like but I, I have the impression, Chuck, that you could be like a congressperson saying, like, I want to tour your solitary wing and you would right. get turned down. Maybe. There's like that level of um, self-administration by the Bureau of Corrections inside prisons. Yeah, so the numbers vary, but um, basically most people say up to 100,000 inmates in the United States. And again, not all of these are in prison. Some of them are in jail. Some of them are in uh, uh, immigrant, uh, temporary immigrant housing. Right. Uh, are kept in isolation. And um, there isn't a... Uh, you don't go before a court to get put in the hole. You, you know, a prison official will dictate this. There is no recourse for a prisoner. They call the shots. There's no oversight. Can be indefinite. You can't call your attorney and say, Hey, I'm in solitary and I didn't do anything. All I did was talk back. Right. I've been in here for six months because the guard has a problem with me. Um, there's nothing that can be done basically. No. So that makes it an extra judicial punishment with no oversight from judges or juries, which is that's that's not good. No, and it's really widespread. 
not just in the United States, but around the world now. Yeah. Uh, well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk a little bit about how this all got started right after this. So, Chuck, I said uh, earlier that this is an American invention, right? Yeah. It's actually an American Quaker invention. Yeah. The Friends Society of Friends came up with the idea of solitary confinement first. And I feel like we talked about this in the prison episode, too. Yeah. The whole idea was that um, at the time, you know, you might be put to to labor or work or um, just left to hang around your fellow inmates in jail. And the idea behind solitary originally that the Quakers came up with was that you should be given time to reflect on your punishment in quiet solitude. And the hope was that eventually you would become penitent and be redeemed. And that's where the word penitentiary came from to describe prisons. That's right. This is the late 18th century when they came up with it at the Walnut Street Jail in Philadelphia. Which sounds lovely. It does sound kind of like a nice place to be. <laughs> I bet it wasn't. Uh, flash forward a bit to the uh, kind of early third of the 1800s in 1829, uh, Eastern State Penitentiary in Pennsylvania. They said, you know what, we're going to try experimenting with how we deal with prisoners. So we're going to try this thing called lockdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found that it didn't work very well. These inmates were socially dysfunctional. A lot of them killed themselves. Mm-hmm. And so in 1829, they abandoned it and said, this is not a good idea. Yeah, within the first 40 years of it being invented, they're like, no, we shouldn't be doing this to people. That's right. And they went in favor of the um, Auburn State Prison in upstate New York's method of putting people to hard labor. That became the the um, the what you, what you did when you got sent to prison rather than put into solitary. Right. And they kept solitary around. Like, it didn't go away entirely. Uh, like, basically, every prison had a hole. You'd get thrown in the hole. But you get thrown in the hole for like days or weeks or something like that yeah. to punish you for something you did in the prison. Yeah, and they still say, like experts still say <laughs> it can be a useful tool in prison if you do put someone in there for three to five days. Right. Or I think the UN says no more than two weeks. Fifteen days, I think, is what they, they came up with. Yeah. So, you know, the point is, is not to say like, well, I mean, I'm sure there are tons of people that say you shouldn't do it at all. Right. But experts say that it can be a deterrent for, you know, poor behavior or whatever in prison. But people being in there for months and years is the issue at hand. Right. So it was used sparingly, but it was still around throughout the the most of the 20th century. Alcatraz famously had D block, which was like a solitary block. Yeah. Um, but then on October 22nd, 1983, everything changed in the current incarnation of the use of solitary confinement was born on that day at Marion Prison, Marion Federal Prison in Marion, Illinois. Yeah. So there were two different incidents where prison guards were killed that day. Yes. Not two separate things, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, the warden put the prison on lockdown and just kept it there. 
Yeah. And what the warden basically invented in in retaliation for these two murders on this day was what's now known as a supermax prison. Yes. It's where all of the prisoners are kept ultimately in isolation for 23 to 24 hours a day uh, throughout the prison. And it's like a prison within a prison. Each inmate is in their own individual prison within the larger prison. And that's called supermax prison. Yeah, and we talked about uh, those a lot in the prisons episode. These became uh, uh, not the new standard because, you know, not all prisons are supermax, but they became more widespread for sure uh, through the 90s, um, partially because of uh, Bill Clinton in 1994. He signed the very famous uh, crime bill, which, uh, among other things, I know it was famously known as the Three Strikes Bill. Well, yeah, that's what created the exploding prison population in large part. Yeah, and Clinton, he still defends this as um, going a long way to alleviate crime, uh, even he, like during this most recent election, he right. was being called out for it and and saying like this was a, you know, a good thing. And um, the detractors still say, no, this is what started in a big, big way incarceration as as a business model in this country. Yeah, and apparently the U.S. now has... 25% of the global prison population, but only 5% of the global population as a whole. Yeah. That's really disproportionate. And apparently we're second, at least on paper, to, to the Seychelles um, for the percentage of people in prison. Every s- 716 of every 100,000 people in the U.S. is in prison. And in the Seychelles, it's 799 of every 100,000. But Seychelles has a population of 92,000, so that kind of skews it. Yeah. And they think that the largest prison state really is um, North Korea, that it, it has a larger por- proportion of its population in prison than the U.S. So technically, the U.S. would be number three, but we would just be trailing North Korea. <laughs> it's not something you want to trail. No. It's not, not a country that you want to be super close to as far as like prison population percentages. No. no. Um, so like we said before, uh, there are even experts that say that solitary confinement, uh, can have a place in prison as a deterrent for bad behavior. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, two separate things here. Bad behavior is one, but you know, mentally ill, uh, we just don't have enough space. Yeah. Um, you know, all these other reasons are the truly abhorrent ones. Um, but, uh, like I said, deterrent is a big one. Um, there, there is a lot of legitimacy to protecting, um, prisoners from fellow prisoners. If they're at high risk for being injured or killed, that's legit. Uh, obviously, if they're a danger, you know, have attacked guards or other inmates, then, uh, a need for separation, like you could make a case you know, there for sure. Um, if they're prone to escape, yeah, maybe they need their own little room. I mean, that's that's one of the big ones that for for proponents of supermax prisons that like this is it's a prison within a prison. It, they have to get out of that first prison, and then they're still in the other prison. The, it just makes it much more difficult to get out. Yeah, I mean, you escape and you go on and and commit more crimes, murder someone while you're on the lam. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can definitely make an argument that. Keeping people like that, um, these repeat offenders or repeat escapee offenders in solitary. So those are some of the arguments for. Yeah. And then I, I don't know if you said it or not already, but the, the having that 
extra way to punish someone who's already in prison yeah. is another reason proponents say you need to have this as a tool to kind of maintain order. Like if you legitimately run afoul of rules. Right. Or, yeah, like, uh, yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, if you if you kill another inmate, ostensibly you're going to go through trial again. Mm-hmm. But, the you know, the, the, you could be executed for, for that. And that would be different than just being in prison. But if you weren't, then it's basically like, oh, you're in prison for life already? Well, we're going to add another life sentence onto that. Right. You know, like there's only so much you can do to someone who's in prison short of executing them. Right. Uh, and the, the solid, solitary confinement, proponents say, provides that extra layer. Right, that deterrent. Right. And the reason it provides that extra deterrent, though, is because of the impact it has been shown to have on the mind of inmates. Yes. And there's a few problems with this. Before we get into it, we should say there's there are very little studies, and one of the reasons why there there are so few studies is because there is so little access to prisoners in solitary confinement by researchers. It's just not allowed. They're just kept out. Yeah, I saw a lot of these studies were longitudinal studies about uh, isolation of the elderly, yeah, and like the effect it can have on them. Well, there's a big worry I've seen that that's like the next health crisis is going to be loneliness and dis- disconnectedness. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's that's where they've gotten a lot of the data because the the prisoners are unavailable for study; they're in solitary. And, and in that same vein, possibly disingenuously, um, the ones that have been able to be interviewed, say they've gotten out of prison and now they're available to be interviewed. Right. Um, the proponents of um, so of solitary confinement say that the prisoners are just, they're just telling researchers what they think they want to hear. Right. Or they're really playing up their story or whatever. But what they found is that there there seems to be a basis for the idea that there are demonstrably negative impacts on mental health that are possibly permanent and irreversible that comes from staying in solitary confinement for prolonged times. Yeah, I mean, there have been some studies. There was one on the Pelican Bay prison in California, and it said uh, people in solitary for long periods uh, suffer from uh, depression, anxiety, uh, apathy, hallucinations, panic attacks, paranoia. Um, this is a big one, hypersensitivity to external stimuli, basically sound and light. Right. Uh, sometimes they're kept in the dark. Sometimes the light never goes off. Yeah. So they, you know, have no sense of, you know, uh, no circadian rhythm of day or night. Which makes sleep extraordinarily difficult, too. Apparently, um, prisoners who are in uh, solitary will basically stay in bed all day and then they don't sleep much at night. Right. But they're not really getting good sleep during the day either. So it's not like their circadian rhythm has flip-flopped. It's been spread out over the day rather than um, – which prevents them from getting actually real rest. Yeah. Because they're constantly at rest. Uh, what else? Difficulties, um, thinking, concentration, uh, memory. Um, they become angry and violent. They could suffer from dizziness, um, heart palpitations, perspiration. Uh, basically, like – we were saying zucosis, like you're trapped in this little box. Yeah. And it's not like, well, you can just read all day and educate yourself or something or paint. Well, in, in cases where they are, yes, because a lot of times they're not 
given those things, right? Yeah, most time you, you're not allowed any form of stimulation or entertainment. So in, in plenty of cases you are, like you're still allowed, say, books or something like that, but apparently one of the things you run into very quickly in solitary is you lose your taste for reading, even though that's all you have to do. Right. Because you can't remember what you read a few pages previously. Right. So, you're you're having so many problems with your memory that you're not able to retain enough of what you're reading to make a book worthwhile. Right. So you just stop reading after a while. Wow. Uh, so where could this lead in a physical uh, sense? Um, they have done studies and they show that if you're in solitary for extended periods, you have a higher rate of self-mutilation uh, and suicide. Um, they did one five-year study from 99 to 2004 in uh, California, I think in their whole prison system. And uh, almost 50% of all inmate suicides were committed by those in isolation. And see, that's a tough thing for uh, someone who who uh, doesn't believe that, that that isolation is a real problem. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, a, that's a tough one for them to just get rid of. Right. Because the other stuff you can say... Well, that's all self-reporting right, right. by a prisoner in solitary. So maybe they're just kind of making it up or playing it up. If they're mutilating themselves, one guy mutilated his own genitalia, another person blinded himself, um, and then you have all of these um, completed or attempted suicides, uh, those are like hard numbers that you just can't ignore. Yeah. That you would think people otherwise wouldn't do that if they weren't in solitary – or else the solitary population wouldn't represent such a high proportion of suicides and attempted suicides in the prison, you know? Yeah, they've also done studies for post-prison. Uh, in 2007 at uh, University of Washington, they said uh, prisoners released directly from Supermax into the community uh, committed crimes sooner than prisoners who had been transferred, even if only for a few months, before release to a general prison population. Yeah, I saw that too. And the, the I think the basis of that is that you don't have social support or social stimulation from other people, right? Yeah. Even if it's somebody you don't really like, if you're interacting with them, you're getting something from interacting with them, right? Yeah. And one of the problems that you run into in solitary apparently is you start to focus on stuff. Mm-hmm. Very small things can become the basis of like raging anger and psychosis. Yeah. And, um, because there's nobody there to tell you like, that's not that big of a deal. Right. Or man, just let it go. There's no one there to give you that social support to, to just let you talk you off the ledge. Yes, yeah. exactly. So the smallest thing can become something of immense importance. Yeah. And if it, if it clicks with something like your rage, you're going to spend the indefinite time you're in solitary thinking about that one thing and stewing. Like, think about when you stew over something, right? Yeah, yeah. And and just how it gets harder and harder to let go the more you stew. You're just making that neural pathway stronger and stronger yeah. thinking about it. Imagine having nothing but that to think about right. for years. Yeah. Apparently, it's a really bad side effect of solitary and that comes from not having that social interaction with people to say you're being weird well and this is just me talking but i imagine it doesn't increase your sense of empathy because you you gain empathy by interacting with people 
So if you're released directly into the public at large after sure. being in Supermax, yeah. you just don't have that, that normal day-to-day interaction with people, so you may be more likely to commit a crime. Yeah. Because you don't care about other people. That would be a, it's make, it's a pretty reasonable explanation to me. Uh, and then, you know, we'll take a break here in a second, but another big, um, impact is simply the financial burden that taxpayers, uh, pay it. And I, I went through this one, uh, uh, paper, uh, academic paper on the cost and it's really varies all over the place, but I'll just say 100% of the time it costs a lot more money to house someone in solitary or a supermax than a regular prison population. Yeah. I mean, I've seen it kind of all over the map. Our article says, uh, $58,000 a year for a regular and a 78 grand per year. It's kind of all over the place, but those are pretty in line. It's, it's always a lot more money. Right. But I mean, how would you even keep track of that if, if different prisons have different definitions for, right. you know, solitary confinement? At the very least, we need to get this stuff standardized. It's yeah. step one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's take our final break. And uh, we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the rest of the world. And um, shall we touch on the Angola 3 case? Yeah. All right, so you said this is a American export. Um, it does happen all over the world, but there are countries, uh, specifically England and some other European countries, that have um, kind of seen the light uh, in a way of reform. Um, they rarely use it in England anymore. Uh, in the 1980s, they started kind of thinking about it and saying, you know what, maybe the thing to do is is incentivize our most dangerous prisoners, give them a little bit more control, and give them incentives for good behavior Mm -hmm. rather than just the threat of punishment for bad behavior. And they found that it worked. Um, There was much less violence uh, when they were housed in units of 10 people rather than being in those individual cells where they could earn privileges, like uh, more contact with other people, more phone calls, more visits. Right. Uh, they found it had, uh, they said the results have been impressive. The use of long-term isolation in England is now negligible. Wow. So they found good results. Uh, and then it just seems like more and more states, um, are enacting things like, uh, like juveniles should never be in isolation. Yeah. I think uh, New mentally York, Ill should New York never be. It. Yeah. New York did, I think. Just in the last couple of years, even. I think Obama banned it in those two in federal prison as well. The mentally ill and the, um, Juvie. And, yeah, juveniles can't be, people under 21 can't be kept in solitary. Because yeah. apparently, if it is having these pronounced effects on the brain, it would have even larger effects on the developing brain of a juvenile. Absolutely. So that, it, that would be really bad. Yeah, that was the case I was talking about. Uh, before with the uh, the NPR story, right? That kid, I think he was 16 at the time, 17 when it started the incarceration, and he was still developing. He said at the end, he said he was 21. He felt like he was 40, and then you know, like I said, he killed himself yeah. within a year after he got out. 
really sad. Yeah. And this is, again, this is not some hardened criminal. He was never convicted of a crime. Right. He was in pretrial holding. Right. Is that clear? <laughs> uh, who else? This, uh, Juan Mendez, um, he's a UN, I've never heard of this title, a UN special rapporteur. Report. Yeah. Have you heard of that? It's fancy. Yeah. What is that? It's like a, a special investigator. They're like, we, we want to know about this, so we're going to ask you to go out and find out everything you can and give us a report. Oh, okay. I think it's reporter in French. <laughs> it probably is. So you win. <laughs> uh, he presented a report in uh, 2016, just last year, to the General Assembly that basically said there's a trend towards reform all over the world when it comes to solitary. And the writing is kind of on the wall that this is it's it's just making things worse. Yes. The thing is, though, is there's a lot of people who still say, especially inside um, bureaus of corrections, that say, no, this is not you, – you're all being played for fools. This is not a, a problem, and it's very useful. And there was actually a study um, by the Colorado Bureau of Corrections, Department of Corrections, one of the two um, – they they funded it, or one of their researchers carried it out, and it found that um, that the mental health of inmates can actually improve in solitary confinement. And everyone was like, "That isn't it strange that this is the only study that right. has ever found anything like that." Right. It's it was funded by the Bureau of Prisons in Colorado, um, and the the methodology has been attacked. It's a very controversial study, but. What gets me is that critics of the study have used the same criticism that critics of the um, studies that show solitary confinement is problematic used, which is they they said that the the re- the prisoners were just telling the researchers what they think they wanted to hear, uh-huh. which is like yeah, I'm doing great. I've actually thought about how 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 bad my crime was, so you could probably let me out now, right? You know, so it that that. That study, I, I didn't read the study, uh-huh. but from what I understand, it's it. There's flaws to it, and yeah, it's the only it. one that came up with that. You'd think yeah. that if if the Bureau of Corrections had come up with something substantial, every state prison system would be running the same tests to yeah. find out and to back up their case, right? You know who's really big on this is uh, David Simon, the guy who created the Wire. Yeah, he is uh, kind of. And, and you know what? We should finish. Well, I don't know if it'll be the last one, but we should totally do one on private prisons. Yeah. Um, we touched on that a little bit in prisons, but that deserves its own show. Agreed. That's sort of one of his big um, things. He's, uh, I guess what you would call it, a passion project now. Mm-hmm. He's trying to, and he's a super smart guy. Like hearing an interview with him is really, really interesting. But uh, yeah, this is kind of one of the things he's dedicating his work to now is exposing these for-profit prisons and incarceration as an industry in the he, United States. He just uh, testified in front of Congress recently, right? Oh, really? I think so. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, should we talk about the Angola 3 case a little bit? Yes, please. So our House Stuff Works article starts with an intro about uh, a man named Albert Woodfox, and he was one of the infamous Angola 3 uh, from Angola, Louisiana State Prison, which is known as the bloodiest prison in the South. Uh, and originally these three men, uh, Albert Woodfox, Herman Wallace, and Robert King, were sent to prison for armed robbery. 
And once they got in there, they started a Black Panther chapter within prison and tried to expose some of the atrocities going on in prison, how they were treated, what mm-hmm. was going on with the guards. Mm-hmm. And that was not a popular move, to say the least. Right. So uh, they did things like hunger strikes, work strikes, started to get a lot of attention in the 1970s, uh, calling for investigations. And so Angola said, you guys are going in solitary um, forever. Yeah, apparently that's, that's something that is f- commonly used for as well, is to squash dissent or sure. criticism of the prison system or the prison rules. Yeah. It's pretty awful. It is. So um, uh, Albert Woodfox, who was kind of the focus of this article that I read, he was in prison uh, in solitary for 45 years. And they're not positive, but they think that he is the, the person who was in solitary confinement the longest in the United States. Right. 45 years, dude. I know. The fact that he's out and walking, talking is pretty insane. There's another one of his um, his uh, buddies, or at least fellow inmates, uh, is still in in lockdown um, in Angola and has been since I think the 80s, right? Yeah, I don't, this wasn't one of the Angola three. But it was a guy named George Gibson and he is in Angola. Yeah. He's been in lockdown since 1982. Yeah, and these are six by, I mean, not like eight by ten is big. Right. But these were six by nine foot cells. That's crazy. And, um, here's the thing. They were, you know, if you look at the evidence, there's a lot of documentaries and, um, I mean, you know, very famous cases. They were essentially put in lockdown. To squash this dissent, but what they were officially put in for was for uh, killing a prison guard. Right. Um, but according to most people, that did not happen. It was not them. Uh, there were so many inconsistencies. There were obfuscations. There were missteps. There was a bloody print at the murder scene that didn't match any of these guys. Uh, they never uh, compared that bloody uh, handprint to, uh, or was it a handprint or a footprint? I to print. A, I would guess sure. a handprint then. They never compared that to any of the other prisoners and that were had access to potentially kill this guard. And there were very few people that even could have done this. It's not like it was the whole prison population. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was DNA evidence that could have freed them that was uh, conveniently lost by prison officials. Uh, they had plenty of alibi uh, witnesses that had nothing to gain, like they didn't get an exchange uh, for for anything, you know, like good behavior or to be, get more free time. Right. They said these guys weren't anywhere near the murder scene at the time, these other prisoners. And their main witness, uh, Hezekiah Brown, uh, basically, in retrospect, everyone says this guy lied under oath so he could get more privileges. He was a serial rapist serving life, and he agreed to testify in exchange for uh, more cigarettes, uh, birthday cakes, TV time. <laughs> I know the birthday cakes was kind of an interesting <laughs> perk. Uh, and the warden later on, when he was reminiscing in this documentary, the warden of the prison said Hezekiah was one of these guys where you could put words in his mouth. Hmm. And so there were essentially enough doubt to where the family members of the guard that was killed said, we don't think these guys did it, and we want to find out who did it. And eventually they were... Uh, they were all freed uh, for different reasons. One of them, uh, Herman was freed because despite all this misconduct in the investigation and the trial, 
uh, and constitutional violations and racism. He was eventually freed because they excluded women um, from one of his trials, which is a violation of the 14th Amendment, which was interesting. Yeah. And he died three days after he got out of oh, cancer. Man. I know. That's awful. Very tragic. Uh, Albert was finally released, um, but not because of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Albert was, was not released because of continued practicing of Black Pantherism, they called it. That's not even a real thing. You can't make that up. You can't keep somebody in there for that. What? Yeah. Uh, and then finally in 2016, after 43 years and 10 months, I think we said 45 years, um, Albert was released, uh, from isolation and from prison, which is, I'm sure there's a, a movie in the works about these guys. But again, there was no transition pro- process, right? He was just in solitary so. confinement one day, and then the next day he's out of prison. Not just out of solitary, out of prison. Yeah. And from what I, from, from what I, the research I've run across, it's, if you were in solitary, you are more likely to commit a crime. Yeah. You are less able to identify with other people. Uh-huh. And if the point of prison is to rehabilitate people, or at the very least, to, um, not release them until they're, they're ready to be. Rejoin society. Yeah. Yeah. Then solitary confinement is the antithesis of that. Right. You're stripping someone of their humanity and their ability to relate to humanity on a, a physiological, neurological level. Yeah. So it, it runs contrary to our ideas of prisons. Yeah. And if you're thinking, what about the Eighth Amendment? Uh, cruel and unusual punishment. It seems like in many cases, like an open and shut kind of thing. Sure. But um, there's never been a ruling on that. No, the court said, not today. I'm not in the mood today. <laughs> Maybe some other day. Because after all, who cares about the inmates, right? They're inmates. They're criminals. Right. Uh, if you want to know more about inmates and criminals in solitary confinement, you can type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, all right. A quick correction first. Um, it's called World Geography with Josh, Part Two. <laughs> I get it wrong a lot. Uh, I need to I'm, just sit there and check out maps. Well, I'm the worst at world geography, but but I you just, love maps. I do love maps, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I think I just I don't talk about it because I know I'm not any good at it. I got you. Uh, so in our famine episode, I think you said what were the two countries? Botswana and Ethiopia. Yeah, we're neighboring. They're not. A few thousand miles apart. So there's a couple thousand, not a few thousand. <laughs> All right. So we like to correct things we get wrong. Um, and another thing we got wrong in Jess was um, when we did our listener mail from uh, Australia mm. with the Aussie lingo. Yeah. Surely the Australians got that we were joking, right? I don't think so. Wow. We got a lot of response saying, guys, you got it so wrong. Yeah. They like kind of exasperated. Like, how did you... How'd yeah. you get it this wrong? We were just kidding around. Yeah. We knew we were wrong on that stuff. Where's that famous Australian sense of humor? <laughs> but um, I'm going to read this one from Matt just because it's the first one that came up on my phone. Because it didn't have one prepared. Oh, uh, you're like uh, the assassin in No Country for Old Men. It's all about fate. <laughs> what a great movie. Yeah. Um, so officially, Matt says Maka's is McDonald's. Didn't know that. That's not true. 
He said it rhymes with Packers, Green Bay Packers, so Mackers, I guess. Uh, Bottolo is where you buy alcohol. That's wrong. Uh, Servo, Chuck, you got it right. It was a petrol station. Okay, maybe that one. Durries or cigarettes rhymes with curries. Also called darts or cancer sticks. Wrong. Uh, pissed is drunk. We know that. I don't know what you said in jest. I thought your bit was really funny. It wasn't that funny. I wasn't very happy with myself. It could have been way funnier. I thought it was good. Um, although he says pissed is drunk enough to not drive. I don't know what that means in Australia. I don't know where that line is. <laughs> right. Because you veer off the road, you're just in the outback. As long as you have some water in your trunk, you're fine. Uh, a stubby is a beer. It's specifically a 375 milliliter bottle of beer. 375, that's a pint. It's a pint. Okay. Why, why don't you just call it a pint? <laughs> he said it's also a style of tradesman work shorts with a pocket big enough to hold a bottle of beer. <laughs> we call those cargo shorts. Yeah. Or beer shorts. Um, a slab is a case of beer, which is 24 of uh, stubbies. Okay. Um, VB plus stubbies means from Victoria, like me, uh, Victoria Bitter Beer is VB. Um, Foster's also is probably Victorian from the Carlton United Breweries. Carlton. As is Melbourne Brewery. Uh, fact, the first ever artificial ice created was to make beer cold in Australia. What? Interesting. And he says, by the way, there's a lot of Aussie slang that is not relevant in travel books. I read them myself and laugh as nobody in Australia talks that way. It's a big fat joke that every Aussie can uh, convinces foreigners, danger is girt. G-U-R-T. <laughs> Steer clear of girt. Drop bears, hoop snakes, and yowies. I didn't even know what's going on now. I think a hoop snake... <laughs> Uh, that's another name for a hookworm. Okay. What's a drop bear? The drop bear is the uh, it's your fecal material containing hookworm eggs. And yowies? That's what you say when you drop a, a hoop bear. Or get in a famous poop slanging fight. Right. Boy, I could see how this could be an endless cycle of emails. <laughs> Forever and ever. Let's keep it going. Kind of like a hookworm life cycle. Uh, the above written is true today as your contributor wrote. No trademarks involves, as far as I know, stubby work shorts origin might be contested. And that is from Matt. Thanks, Matt. What does Matt mean in Australia? It's how you wipe your feet before you enter a dwelling. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Matt did, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. I'm also at Josh Um Clark. Check me out. You can hang out with Chuck on Facebook at Charles W. Chuck Bryant and at uh, Stuff You Should Know. You can uh, send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. <laughs>